So from our reading, I'm going to try and pick out a few things today uh, about Jesus. And, um, And did you notice, and I read from verse 41, it says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. This is one of about three occasions that the Bible says that Jesus wept. The shortest verse is, Jesus wept. On on that occasion when he saw the death of Lazarus and the state that the people were in, Jesus wept. And on here, he sees the Israel, God's people, his people, the beloved people of God, a Jew himself, he sees the people and he sees the people in Jerusalem and it says he wept. He really felt something. You know, when, when I'm with Lekin and Yadda and the family and the children, it's something that I feel. It hasn't got a lot to do with what's in here. And when I get home after spending some time with them, with them, the, the adults and the children, and I think about what's happened in Victoria, it's just it's something that I feel. And the Lord begins to speak to me and says to me, you know like the way that you love Victoria? I say, yes, Lord. You know the way that your heart aches? And the way that you look at her and you see the miracle? Yes, Lord. Andy, that's how I feel about you. You're a miracle. That love that you feel for them is the same feeling that I have for you. So when when Jesus, when the Bible says he saw Jerusalem, He saw the city and he wept on it. He wept because he loved them and he knew what was about to come. He knew that they were going to be sieged and ruined. And and this was like, um, um, he knew what was coming. And in AD, about 35, 37 years after Christ, in AD 70, The Romans did besiege Jerusalem and just flattened it, completely destroyed it. He was weeping because he knew that was coming. He was weeping also because they had rejected him. He knew they were going to reject him from a very, very long time before this. When he was a very young man, he knew his destiny. And he knew that they were going to reject him and, he, and that and that and that. And he felt that love and he knew that as a result of their rejection, that in God's sovereignty, these things would happen and he, God would overturn them one day. But so that's the first thing I, I must bring to our attention, to our attention. We are loved. Really, very deeply. I've done some good things in my life and some bad things. Sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. And a few years ago, I thought I was making some right decisions 
prayed about it. I've got some people to stand with me, but I messed up. I messed my life up. I messed the life of others up. But Jesus came and put me back together and poured in his love because that's what he does. Something happened and now I know He touched me and made me whole. He touched me. Jesus touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know. He touched me and he made me whole. So the first thing is, That Jesus loves us. The second thing is, in this reading, we see that Jesus is indeed a prophet. He gives his instructions to his disciples. Go into the little village. You're going to see a colt, a young donkey tied up. I want you to take it and bring it. And when and if someone says, and I know they're going to say it, what are you doing? Just reply, the Lord needs it and they will let you have the donkey. They're going to let you have that young little animal. Bring it to me. And they heard the instruction and they obeyed. Do yourself a favour. Do me a favour. Do everybody a favour. When you and I hear the Lord give instruction... We do well to say, all right. So when I've, when I've heard and obeyed, I've seen things happen in the lives of people and in my own life. So they went and they found this little young donkey and they untied it and people said, what are you doing? That belongs to us, mate. I mean, what, why do you think... You can just take that donkey. What are you doing with it? You're going to feed it? What are you going to do? He said, the Lord needs it. Oh, okay. Take it. So they took it. And they brought it to him. Jesus knows, he knows the future. He prophesied in, and it's recorded in various places in the Bible, like Matthew 27. He prophesied that there's going to be wars and rumours of wars and famines and diseases. All the stuff that's happening now is a fulfilment of what the prophet said. What's happening today in our world is a fulfilment of God's sovereign plan. And in the end, 
He, he will do what he wants and in the end, he will bring some good out of what he's doing and in the end, God knows this, God's allowing this or God's doing this. We think we're in control. Putin thinks he's in control. Boris thinks he's sometimes in control. He's, God ultimately is in control and all the bad and good, God is dealing with it. And so this Jesus, who is he? He's a prophet. He's a prophet. So, you know, sometimes we forget that he's a prophet. I was in a meeting and uh, we'd asked this guy come to speak called Gerald. And I'm going to the meeting and I just know that Gerald, when he finishes his message in that evening meeting, is going to prophesy over me. By that I mean he's going to tell me what's going to happen in my life. So he comes and there's like a packed church, maybe 150 or more people. It was in the days when we would meet in the evenings. You know, it was like normal and wonderful. I mean, you'd never think of not going to church in the evenings. Never. So we, we were packed in there and he, and he spoke. I don't know anything that he said. I mean, if you'd asked me like a month later, what did he say? I don't know. If you ask me now, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything he spoke about. He finished speaking. And does customary. He's got the mic. He's finished speaking, but he's not finished ministering. He's holding the mic and just saying publicly to everybody. Everybody I know, Andy. I don't know him too well, but I do know him. And I want to say this to you publicly. I say this from the Lord, I believe. The whole church heard it. I heard it. Uh, you're going to have an international ministry. You're going to go to countries you've not imagined. And he talked along these sort of lines and said various things. He spoke for about a minute, finished. Then he picked someone else, prophesied over them. Then he picked someone else, spoke over four people. September 1990. A few months later, the next year, I'm on my first mission overseas. He spoke about an international ministry to countries unmanageable, unimaginable. I would have never in a hundred years imagined I would ever go to Nigeria. Why? Why would I want to go? You're not telling me God to go. I'm not going. So, you know, I, 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 I remember speaking to my boss, who was my vicar. I said, look, I've been invited to go to Nigeria. What do you think? He said, oh, let's pray about it. I didn't want him to pray about it. I was hoping he'd say, no, you can't go. We need you here. He said, well, pray about it. I, I, I thought to myself, oh, no. We're going we're to pray about it. Okay. 
So a few weeks later, I said to the vicar in a staff meeting, oh, what do you think about Nigeria? I need to give an answer to the person that's invited me to tag along with him and help him. What do you think? He said, go. I said, no, really? (laughs) He said, how long is it for? I said, two and a half weeks. He said, go, go. So I went, went there for two and a half weeks, got back after two and a half weeks, fell on the floor at Heathrow and prayed. God, it's finished. I'm never going back. You're not asking me to go back. I don't want to go back. It was just a one-off. Amen. <laughs> Got up. And then six months later, as I'm in my, as in just doing my, just doing my usual stuff, I began to have these feelings to go back. No. Go back. Take a team. Take a lot of people. Take, take nurses. Take social workers. Take teachers. Take evangelists. No. Yeah. Go back. Then I did this second trip. Then I, began, I, I thought, oh, I might do a third trip. Okay. Then, you know, now I'm like 31 years now. 45 trips. You know, the Lord has done amazing things there. You know, Jesus told his disciples to go to the village and they're going to find a colt tied and people are going to say this and they're going to do that. See, when, when you and I hear the Lord and obey the Lord, something happens. And let's not be worried about when we, when we get things wrong in life. God can, God can deal with that. God can heal us. It's not over. He gives us a second chance. He's given me a third and fourth chance. So the first thing is, is that this Jesus is, is a prophet. Now let me just read a few words from 1 Corinthians uh, 14. If you want to follow 1 Corinthians 14 something about prophecy it's very important follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts Especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Instead, indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies, which is either and, and or pro- prophesy is either Proclaiming the word of God, sharing the word of God, foretelling or forthtelling. Have you got that? That's how I would define prophecy. It's either foretelling the future or forthtelling the word of God. Speaking the word of God, 
with power, conviction, in helpfulness, speaking the word of God, or, and, and or, is also saying something of the future. Hmm? It could be one or the other, or both. Anyway. Verse 4. No, verse 3. But... Everyone who prophesies speaks to men or women for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you, Paul says, to speak in tongues. But I would rather you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he or she interprets so that the church may be edified. So every one of us, Paul says, he'd like everyone to speak in tongues. And he says here and elsewhere that um, we can all prophesy. I went to a school of prophecy for about a year and a half. And um, the first meeting I went to, um, this guy got up and did some helpful, practical teaching for about 45 minutes. And then he asked someone to come out and sit in a chair. Then he invited anyone, uh, all of us, to seek the Lord. And for any, anyone or any people to come out and stand by the person and give them any words or pictures or anything that they, that they felt that they should say or do for the person. I thought, I've never seen anything quite like that. I loved it. Some people started coming out. Sometimes there was a little queue and just one person went after another. And then, and then the next week, it, it, the next month, we went uh, and had our, our second session. We did this for a year and a half. And... Uh, He'd do teaching, then he'd pick someone else, and then someone else. And he'd do that every time. It was fantastic. Some seed was sown in that meeting. I thought, hmm, I'm going to do that. When it's right. So I noticed that in some of the places that I spoke at, where there was space and time and it was right, I'd pick someone out and uh, bring them to the front or just ask people to come and pray over them or give them a word or give them a word myself. But, you know, it completely changed my life. I was in a little prayer group one day and this woman um, and our little prayer group just finished praying. It was a conference and there was... Um, a good number of people at this annual conference and this very famous person called Jean Darnell walked across the room, tapped me on my shoulder. And said, I believe I have a word for you. Can I give it to you? I thought, I don't believe it. It's Jean. I said, give it to me. She says, I'll see you with a microphone in one hand and a notebook in the other. You're preaching other people's sermons. Stop 
You're unique and original. Be so. She says, now I see you with a microphone in one hand and the Bible in the other, preaching to many people the word of God powerfully. You're unique and original. Be so. She had a word of knowledge. Firstly, I did have a silly little sermon book. And I would preach other people's sermons. I start off with a joke. They all, you know, some people do. I had this way of speaking or preaching. And I, I wasn't free. I wasn't original and unique. And it, so she had a word of knowledge. She knew what I'd been doing. And then she also spoke about the future. That prophetic thing. And I know that we believe in this. But you know, God wants me to be much more prophetic, helpful. Because it, it's to comfort, strengthen and edify, to encourage. So this woman, this amazing woman, in like 30 seconds, gave me this word of knowledge. And she spoke about the future. That was December 1990. Three months later, with the word from Gerald in my belly, I was like, I was ready-ish. <laughs> on, on the first, on the first overseas mission, not knowing that one day he'd stand here. Not knowing that one day a school will be built. Not knowing that one day hundreds and hundreds of children through the years and young people would be educated, come to Jesus. Not knowing that I would stand under trees preaching to 600 or 800 or 200 secondary school children in Africa. Not knowing any of that. Amazing. Not knowing what I'd go through in life, in personal life, yet God putting me back together and putting me back on the road. Who is this Jesus? He's a prophet. Who is this Jesus? He's full of love. And lastly, who is this Jesus? He is the king. Putin thinks he's a bit of a king. He's a schmuck. Like Hitler was. Some Christians are thinking some strange things about all this. They're praying some strange prayers that I think, what is that? God's in control anyway. And God will deal with him. And do with him. What he wants to do. Jesus is the King and He's my Lord. And I, I want Him to stay the Lord. I find that old saying a bit challenging, a bit too challenging sometimes. But it's okay if He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all.
So I want to more and more, day by day, we've heard that today, one day at a time, one thing at a time. Okay, you're asking me, you're asking this of me now. Jesus, help me to do this now. I won't worry too much about tomorrow or how I'm going to cope. Let me lean on you. Hmm? Just lean on Jesus today. Whatever you're going through or will go through, don't think too much about. I'm not saying don't prepare. There's time to prepare. But you know, often there's nothing we can do except trust in Jesus. And that's, that's the best thing that you and I can do. Trust him. Because he loves us. And you know, and that, that feeling of that, that feeling of great feeling of love, which is almost crushing that we sometimes feel. You know, we really, really love our children. I took my two grandchildren out to a musical yesterday. It was so lovely. And, you know, that, that love that we have for our children, that's the kind of love but, that God and Jesus has for us. But it's so much more. And, you know, you know mothers and fathers, we, we even, that love that we have for our children almost hurts. It hurts <laughs> at times. Wants to protect and love and help. And, and that's, that's, that's the love that Jesus has because he wept. And, you know, we've got this Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He's like, he's, he intercedes for us. He's interceding for me. He's been interceding for me and for you. And he's our advocate. He's our defender. He stands before God. Defending us before the Father so that things will be okay for us. He's our defender. Mary, Queen of Scots, says, When John Knox prays, I fear that more than all the armies of Europe. How much more knowing that when Jesus prays, intercedes, things happen. Things that we don't know about. One day we might find out, not in this life. When we're before God one day, it might be that we find out, wow, that happened because you're my defender. That happened because you, Jesus, prayed. There's some people, when I know that they pray, like, I've like, I'm like, I feel strong. I feel it's covered. I'm covered! She's praying. He's praying. J. John's praying. Someone's praying. That amazing person's praying. I'm covered. How much more? I mean, did you get that? Did you, did you get that quote? I mean, the Mary Queen of Scots said, when John Knox prays, I fear that more 
than if all the than all the armies of Europe. Who the heck was this? John Knox. Someone that could really pray. Someone that was amazing. This is our Jesus. Let me just conclude. We've said three things. Jesus wept. He weeps. That love he has for you and me and for the world is strong. And he loves the world usually through you and me. Secondly, he's a prophet. He's many things. He's the son of God. He's the saviour, he's the Messiah, he's a prophet. Thirdly, he is the king. He's the king and he is the Lord. Let's, day by day, as he speaks, instructs, he's been speaking to me in little ways recently. Just little ordinary things. Go and speak to that person there, sitting there. What, the, one on the, be- the one on the bench. I want you to do this now. I want you to give this, this money. I want you to send this card. I want you to offer this to this person. Just little things, more than usual. Jesus loves us. He's the Lord. Application. You can all speak in tongues. Application. Come on. I've not heard a tongue for years. I've got to finish now. I remember the last time I heard a tongue at an interpretation in a meeting. What have we done? Application. (coughs) Let's make sure we're all filled with the Spirit, baptising the Spirit, and let's move in God. Application. Let's receive his love and love. Application. You can all speak in tongues and prophesy. Come on. Wouldn't that be amazing? Jesus said to the woman at the well, you've had five husbands. We need more of that stuff. And the one you've got now isn't your husband. Sir, I see you are a prophet. Word of knowledge. Let's pray.